bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dregu. We're glad you can join us. Here at The New American, we take the most important news stories, strip away the state-sponsored propaganda, and bring you the truth. And because of that, we are one of the most censored publications in America. So if you enjoy our show, please share these episodes with others. Now, remember Dr. Fauci? Of course you do. He was Mr. Science. And he was everywhere during the COVID pandemic. Well, it turns out he's recently developed a case of amnesia. GOP investigators questioned him for many hours this week about COVID-related topics. We're going to look at that in a bit. Also, we're going to assess a recent lawsuit filed in Georgia that some believe could derail the indictment against Trump there. We have all that coming up, plus a conversation with John Birch Society CEO Bill Hahn about why in this time of such blatant corruption, it's even more important that we support and keep our local police independent. But first, as the convoluted saga of Trump's legal battles enters 2024, Fulton County, Georgia is shaping up to be perhaps the most consequential contest. Yesterday, a prominent Yale Law School professor named Paul Kahn published an op-ed at The Hill called The Coming Trump Constitutional Crisis and How to Avoid It. Kahn claims there's a very real likelihood that Trump will be convicted in the Fulton County case, that he'll go to jail, where he could then be elected president, and yet he wouldn't be able to get out because of a host of legal technicalities and constitutional issues. This then could lead to a constitutional crisis graver than any America has faced since the Civil War. Kahn argues that a central principle of constitutional law is that state criminal law is generally for the state alone to decide. The Supreme Court has no say in an ordinary criminal conviction when the state law does not conflict with federal law and due process standards are met. He says there's no legal principle of, quote, protecting the president from state criminal law. He has to pay his taxes and he has to serve his time. Indeed, in Article 3, the Constitution limits the judicial authority of the Supreme Court to, quote, cases arising under this Constitution and the laws of the United States. State laws are not mentioned. The same is true for the presidential power to pardon. He can only pardon cases involving offenses against the United States, meaning that he may not be able to pardon himself in Georgia if he's reelected. Furthermore, Khan points out that unlike other governors, the one in Georgia has no power to pardon. So if Trump is convicted and imprisoned in Georgia, he may have no way to get out of jail, even if he's reelected president. This at least is what Khan believes. So what solution does he propose? Well, Khan recommends that the Supreme Court uphold Colorado's ruling to keep Trump off the ballot. This then would allow many other states to do the same, effectively ending Trump's chances at winning the presidency and thus avoiding this grave constitutional tidal wave. Drawing a parallel between the Supreme Court's intervention in the 2000 election in Florida, Kahn writes that the Colorado case may be the last best chance of preventing the constitutional tsunami that is building in Georgia. Whatever else the justices believe about the merits of the Colorado decision, Georgia had better be on their minds. In other words, to avoid the supposed crisis, the Supremes better do the wrong thing because that would be the right, the right thing. TNA's executive senior editor, Steve Bonta, asked our residential legal scholar, Joe Wolverton, what he thought of Khan's points. 
We do not have experience with a president or even a candidate for president that could potentially uh, govern in prison. But that isn't. But Khan's uh, article goes far. Uh, well, it just goes too far in his expectations of what could happen. There are several remedies. First, the Supreme Court does regularly uh, overrule state criminal convictions, which they could certainly do. They might not do in a case of murder, but they would certainly be interested in taking review of a case involving a former president and the election of a a, a president. Uh, secondly, we have the issue of if the if President Trump were elected president, he would have constitutional remedies. First, he would have the take care clause of Article two, which mandates that the president shall take care to execute the laws. So he could argue his legal team could argue that he can't take care to execute the laws from prison. Of course, he could always govern through his cabinet, which he would appoint. So one would one would assume he would appoint people that support him and his policies. Um, and there, there are many novel, like I say, there are many new uh, twists and turns to this case. Of course, there is always the specter now because of breaking news hanging over it that this scandal down in Georgia may make all of this moot at the end of the day, Steve. But we do have the prospect of many we have good constitutional scholars in this country, particularly at the John Birch Society, where we can help uh, detangle all of this mess. Just because something is new doesn't mean it has to turn into something uh, revolutionary, that we don't have to be reactionary about it. We can simply take what the Constitution tells us and apply it to this case. And, of course, that's what we're meant to do in a Republican form of government. We elect people that we expect to be wise about these things. And I believe that the Supreme Court has demonstrated one thing that Khan said is that the Supreme Court should do the wrong thing for the right reason. That is, they should uphold Colorado Supreme Court's decision for the purpose of avoiding civil war. Well, and, and there are those who believe that perhaps Khan is sort of tipping the hand of the deep state and saying, this is the route that we're going to take to persecute and prosecute Donald Trump to prevent him from ever serving again as president uh, because he was absolutely a thorn in their side for most of the time. But I believe that the Supreme Court has demonstrated recently that it's willing to poke the establishment in the eye when necessary. So I think that... We have an opportunity here, a unique opportunity to discuss constitutional issues with a Supreme Court that seems willing to be less than partisan about these things. Can the president pardon himself, Joe? The president can pardon himself, but in this case, it is a state criminal conviction, which the Constitution says pardon is only for offenses against the United States. So joining me for today's discussion is Steve Bonta, executive senior editor here of The New American. Steve, we discussed this at length yesterday. I know you have quite a few thoughts about this. Um, is is like Joe Wolverton saying, does it seem like Khan is trying to tip the scales here? What are your thoughts on, on this op-ed? Oh, certainly. There's no question that this is an attempt to sway maybe the opinion. I wouldn't say public opinion. I don't know how many people read articles on the Hill, but... Certainly, a lot of the people who matter inside the Beltway mm -hmm. and in other elite conclaves across the country possibly some of the Supremes. are going to read this, and certainly among them might be some of the Supreme Court, certainly the more, the more liberal portion thereof, at, at, at minimum. 
And so the article has, you know, some very pointed references. Khan himself is a lawyer and a law professor of, of great stature. Mm. So he knows how to deploy rhetoric to maximal advantage. And he does have, I think, a very clear political agenda here. But above and beyond that, you know, when I first read the article yesterday morning, I was dismayed by some of the things that he said, but he seemed to be making some plangent points, which is why I felt, you know, we need to get a real expert, Joe, involved. And from what Joe told me, there are some things to be concerned about. Number one, it is true that he can't pardon himself in under these circumstances. In general, the presidential pardon is not, it, it, there, although no president has ever actually pardoned himself, there is no such limitation explicit in the Constitution. But what is explicit is in, in, in Article 2, is that the presidential pardon is only involved to, in cases against the United States, offenses against the United States, right? Which I suppose, in a very latitudinarian sense, we could consider I this to also be, be made this was, this to, could be thusly construed, but probably not, okay? And, and liberals are love to throw off constitutional shackles whenever it suits their purposes, which is most of the time. But every now and then, they love to invoke the spirit of federalism and limited, uh, you know, federal power and so forth when it serves their purposes at the state level. And this is certainly such a case. Mm -hmm. Okay. As to the second, what Joe is saying, and I, and I think it's true, is that, is that technically, I mean, if you look at, at Article 3, the power, the, the, the uh, appellate power of the Supreme Court is rather narrowly defined to cases involving, again, you know, the United States, the Constitution, things like that. It doesn't extend to state criminal cases and things of this nature. But what he's saying is that in pragmatic terms, now for about 100 years, we do have the precedent for their doing so, and presumably they will act accordingly this time around. But we shall see. Thank you, Steve. After this, a new lawsuit in Georgia alleges that Fannie Willis, the prosecutor going after Trump in Fulton County, was having an affair with the married man she hired to prosecute that bogus case. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Folks, for more non-propaganda news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. The New American Magazine has been telling the truth and accurately projecting policy and cultural trends since 1985. We are the official magazine of the John Birch Society, which was founded in 1958 to stop the New World Order. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You get a subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top and then hit subscribe on the drop down. If you prefer, you can call for a subscription. 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783.
Welcome back. Anti-Trump Georgia prosecutor Fannie Willis may be more corrupt than we initially thought. In addition to the possible constitutional ramifications of the Georgia case, she's now attracting attention thanks to a lawsuit claiming that she improperly hired a romantic partner to help prosecute the case. Furthermore, the lawsuit claims that they financially benefited from this appointment. Willis hired Atlanta lawyer Nathan Wade as a special prosecutor to go after Trump. And it's now emerging, according to the lawsuit, that Wade and Willis have been having an affair. Furthermore, Wade is accused of coordinating his actions against Trump with the Biden administration. On Monday, Trump co-defendant Michael Roman alleged in a court filing that Wade, who received $654,000 in compensation for his so-called work on the Trump case from Willis's office, was in a relationship with Willis before she hired him. The lawsuit claims that he had vacation with Willis in Napa Valley and in the Caribbean. This while Wade was a married man again. Moreover, Wade's invoices submitted to Willis's office include a bill for interview with D.C. White House for eight hours on November 8, 2022, and another for May 23, 2022, for eight hours that included conference with White House counsel, apparently in Athens, Georgia. Willis has denied that she coordinated her actions with the White House, and so far she hasn't answered questions about her alleged affair with Wade. Here's Mike Davis, president of Article 3 Project, with his take on this development while talking to Steve Bannon yesterday. If these allegations are true, not only can Fannie Willis and her boyfriend, alleged boyfriend Nathan Wade, not remain on these Trump cases, they may go to prison. This Nathan Wade did not have any experience whatsoever running these types of felony cases that he was brought in to run, especially a RICO case. And that's why Fannie Willis and her, her alleged boyfriend, Nathan Wade's criminal complaint against Trump and 18 co-defendants is such a joke. It's like they just took food and threw it against the wall, right? And it makes sense now if you look at this Nathan Wade. He's a total clown, just like Fannie Willis. And then you wonder, why would she pick this guy to run this? Well, it makes sense now. It's her boyfriend, and her boyfriend's paying, using this taxpayer money to take these trips around the world, allegedly. Uh, so what's going to have to happen is this judge is going to have to determine whether this whether these uh, this indictment in the first place against Trump and these 18 co-defendants is even legitimate, right? If you have corruption with the appointment of this special prosecutor, Fannie Willis's uh, appointment of her alleged boyfriend, who's not qualified for the job and apparently didn't take the oath of office properly, then this whole indictment may be invalid. Separate from that, you should move to dismiss with prejudice just because this is so obviously corrupt to anyone with the brain. I mean, this is this is like a Veep episode down there. Like you pick your boyfriend to run <laughs> the most important case of your life. He's not qualified to do it. And then you reward yourself with kickbacks. All right, I'll bring Steve back in. I'm not surprised by this kind of grift, if it is indeed true. Uh, we knew that this was corrupt, that Fannie Willis is corrupt. What do you make? What are the chances? Because it seems like the machine is so entrenched that this corruption is so deep that even when legitimate cases, if this is indeed legitimate, if whatever arise, that doesn't necessarily mean that the just outcome will prevail, huh? Well, I hate to be the proverbial bucket of cold water, Paul. But, <laughs> but you're going to do it. Go on. Steve. I would be shocked, shocked to see anyone on Capitol Hill or in the, the upper echelons of the legal profession 
who is not sickeningly compromised in this way. I mean, mm-hmm. here, here's the reality that most of us live our lives in blissful ignorance of, and that is that virtually everybody on Capitol Hill, the lobbyists, the lawyers, yes, indeed, the Congress critters as well, uh, as well as the people in the Capitol, they're all sleeping with each other for favors. Just like, just like I mean, we know all about Hollywood, you know, and uh, David Selznick's infamous casting couch and all of that sort of thing that was exposed. And, and we, li- we like to express uh, dismay at uh, the debauchery yeah. of, of Babylon out there in, in Hollywood. But Washington is worse. And, and by extension, you know, these, these corridors of power in state capitals, all the, these prominent, I'm not to say that every district attorney out there is, is, is a philanderer and adulterer and so forth, but it's really common. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is one of the, unfortunately, is the coin of the realm for many people who, uh, who, who stride with confidence through the corridors of power. Yes. Not just in our country, but abroad. I mean, you know, yesterday Emmanuel Macron in France appointed France's first ever openly homosexual president. So this kind of thing is is just, I mean, these people are different from us in fundamental ways. Now, to your question specifically about what's going on in Georgia, I would be more than mildly surprised if anything comes of the moral transgressions Because, you know, I remember well, as you probably do as well, you know, the Clinton impeachment back in the 90s when a lot of this was first laid bare, the American public, people were just appalled. And I remember, I think it was it was either Paul Begala or it was one of the one of those Clinton spokesmen made this sneering comment to the effect of, you know, why are they getting mad at Clinton? There aren't three pure men on Capitol Hill. I thought, oh, that can't be true. Well, and then subsequently, yeah, that probably is true. Or or if if not, it's not much of an exaggeration. So I, I don't see... The moral turpitude, although it's clearly corrupt, it's clearly illegal, in theory, it should land them in prison. You know, the thing that's more significant probably and may end up really having t- taking a toll is the clear evidence that they did, in fact, Pacey, the strident denials of Willis in the past, coordinate their efforts with the White House. Do we know anything about the judge who is overlooking this case? Well, I'm sure somebody does. I don't. <laughs> you're, from, you're the guy from Georgia, so, you know. Right, well, um, but, I, but, you, but I will say this. I mean, I, I mean, when we learned in the last segment, the reason, and it's a very cynical reason, that they apparently chose Georgia above, mm. say, Arizona, Pennsylvania, or Michigan as the state in which to stage this, you know, this state-level lawfare against Trump is that they knew, somebody out there knew, well, Georgia's the place where it doesn't matter if their governor is a dyed-in-the-wool MAGA Republican, he ain't going to be able to, to deliver Trump a, get a, a jail. Right. Whereas in Pennsylvania, I mean, as a, as a Pennsylvanian myself, um, I can tell you the Pennsylvania governor can and does uh, use abundant, make abundant use of the, par, of the, the pardon pen. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if, he, if they'd done this in Pennsylvania, and I'm sure there's, there, there, are, there are plenty of dist- corrupt district attorneys in Harrisburg and Philadelphia that would have been happy to oblige were probably told your services aren't needed because, you know, there's always the chance that Pennsylvania could elect a Republican governor and he could then pardon Trump and this would all end up being nugatory. Yeah. Okay? But but again, I, I think, you know, I mean, a lot of us are just hoping that everything we talked about in the last segment with, with Joe Wolverton is going to end up being nugatory because all of these things will just vanish like the dew before the rising sun as everything implodes, as the moral turpitude and cynicism becomes more and more obvious. Surely the system... We'll, ha- we'll be able to self-remedy. Uh, color me skeptical, but I hope it happens. Right. And this point about morality, this, this amorality that has become more and more per- pervasive, 
there's clearly a correlation between the rise in amorality and the corruption we're seeing this and and we miss this as news people as analysts this isn't something that's normally discussed uh, but I'm glad that you brought it up and I think it's it's just another reason people have to realize that one of the things we have to get straight in our nation is morality we have to pick moral leaders and we have to root out some of this however however yeah, I mean we've always had immoral people in places of power, but we've never had in the past people so immoral that they're willing to resort to these lengths that we're seeing unfold before our eyes to accomplish their nefarious aims. Yeah, and, and maybe they've been this immoral in the past, but they've been in power. They're, they haven't been necessarily threatened. And once Trump came on the scene, uh, Trump role brought them on, and now their power is seriously being challenged. And was more limited in the past by, by, by greater failure. Another of the point why we need to decentralize and go back to the way that the founders designed uh, the, the government. This week... Republicans have been grilling Dr. Fauci about a number of COVID-related issues when he was high on power. In 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists. Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash out of control. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polish Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. When it comes to the engineered COVID pandemic, Dr. Fauci does not recall much. Mr. Science himself was grilled by the Republicans on the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic for many hours on Monday and Tuesday. The topics discussed Monday included Fauci's role in funding risky gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab in China, the disastrous pandemic response, and his insights on preparing for potential future outbreaks. Fauci, of course, was a public face of COVID restrictions and edicts. He exploited his position to almost single-handedly lock us down, muzzle our faces, and render us alone and isolated in our homes. Yet, for all his involvement, he appeared to be completely clueless and forgetful about those days. According to a statement issued by subcommittee's chairman, Brad Winstrup, Dr. Fauci claimed he did not recall pertinent COVID-19 information or conversations more than 
100 times. However, one of the things Fauci seemed to be certain of is that he had nothing to do with the creation of the virus. He profusely defended his previous congressional testimony where he stated that NIH does not fund gain-of-function research in Wuhan. At the same time, a good question is, how would Fauci know that since he testified that he signed off on every foreign and domestic NIAID grant without even reviewing the proposals? Fauci also told investigators that he was unable to confirm if NIAID has any mechanisms to conduct oversight of the foreign laboratories they fund. Nevertheless, Congressman Michael Cloud, a member of the sub subcommittee involved in the hearing, told Newsmax that Fauci believed the government and the World Health Organization should have more power to better respond to the next pandemic. And, uh, you know, anytime you'd ask him for, hey, what are some of the lessons learned? His response is, well, we just need more, more power for these agencies, more power for the WHO, more power for these agencies that really kept America in check that, you know, we, we and what's, what's interesting to me as I've watched him throughout the pandemic, and even as you sit in this, this all seems like a very interesting science fair project to him. Not something where you realize like, what you're saying has the impact literally on whether people live and die, and we saw millions die, and people lose businesses and livelihoods, and, and you know, it's just very disappointing to see that to this day, he doesn't seem to really gauge the impact of really what happened. Another member of the subcommittee is Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. Here's what she thinks. What's shocking to me is back in 2012, he actually wrote a paper about it and wrote about the scenario that, that, that a pandemic could get released upon the world. Um, and, and he spelled that out in, in his article. And, um, and, and in the article, he says that it's worth the risk, but it's not worth the risk because millions of people died Millions of people lost loved ones. And, and actually, this is like a more of an evil version of science. It's like a Dr. Frankenstein science um, that American taxpayers would never want their tax dollars used for. I think I can speak for many Americans when I can say, absolutely, he belongs in jail. All right, Steve. So that was um, MTG pulling no punches there. He belongs in jail. Um, I read a, a long report some time ago on sociopathy and we learned that there's quite a bit, quite a few sociopaths. And it sounds like based on what we understand, sounds like Fauci has all the classic signs. I think the central being that he seems to have no empathy for uh, the edict, for the destruction that his edicts, his ideas um, caused. And you could hear uh, McLeod and an MTG saying the same thing. They're astounded that he seemed to be so removed from uh, what his ideas was doing to the rest of the public. Well, I'm, I'm not <clears throat> qualified to, to assess which of the dark triad <laughs> characteristics are, are, are his particular affliction. I mean, he certainly comes across being quite narcissistic, megalomaniacal, you know, choose your terms. But these things are clear. Until he was ushered out of so-called government service, he was for years, nay, decades, the highest paid person in government. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, normal people who work for government already enjoy a cushy, privileged existence. They're almost immune from normal disciplinary action being fired and this kind of thing that the rest of us have to contend with if we fail to perform the expectations of our, our employers. And so that alone, I think, tends to pathologize people because 
one of the things that enables us to grow and, and, and be normal, in a sense, is normal interaction with other people, which means getting pushed back, getting told we're full of beans or whatever, as, as, as the case may be. And I don't think that Fauci was, has, is used to being challenged. And, and so I, I don't think he can conceive of being wrong. <clears throat> to my knowledge, he's never admitted making a mistake of any kind, yeah. uh, despite the fact that th- th- this catastrophe that, uh, that was spilled over the world a few years back is clearly, he, he and, and many of his myrmidons are complicit in it. You know, it, it's absolutely clear. But for example, what we're discussing right now and what was being discussed by the Congress people that we showed on the clips a few moments ago is all censored in most of the, we couldn't put this on Facebook or YouTube or without it being immediately censored. So great is the power wielded by that portion of the deep state that Mr. Fauci until very recently essentially spearheaded. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, the man was, and as far as I can tell, remains untouchable and untouchability is something that will turn you into a sociopath. If no one is ever able to say, you know what? I disagree. You're wrong. Get out of here. You're fired or whatever, which all of us deal with it at one point or another in our imperfect lives. I don't think he's ever dealt with that. Well, and that's my very amateurish assessment. (laughs) And I think it's also scary because I think he reflects the view of a lot of these entrenched bureaucrats, that being that the answer, instead of decentralization, instead of many other things that we've discussed when it came to COVID, including get rid of the restrictions make available uh, medicine that actually works. The answer was more of what they did. It's just astounding. There seems to be, like you said, no remorse. He seems they, he is so removed from the damage and the, the destruction and the metrics have bared this out. I believe in by November of 2020, the CDC had already issued a report saying that over the last six months, there was a rise in substance abuse and depression in suicide. And there was clearly, it didn't say it outright, but clearly these so-called mitigation efforts were causing that. Right. Well, I mean, you know, to your earlier point, I mean, what he said in, in effect is what all people who are incurable idolaters of the state will say. Yes, mistakes were made, but they were made because we didn't have enough money and enough power. Give us more resources and we'll rectify it next time around. Like they the, do with the school argument. Absolutely. With schools, with every discernible failure of the government at every level, the reason is never because government itself has too much power and is overweening. It's I because it, was, it doesn't have enough. No, no. I, th- I think it was Milton Friedman that pointed out uh, in one of his early books that, that the, 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 the structure of incentives that Adam Smith called the invisible hand that are operative in the free market are precisely the reverse in government. And they create what Friedman called a reverse invisible hand that incentivize everything that's wrong with human behavior, including, of course, lust for power and these other sociopathic traits that you noted early on. And I don't think people realize, I don't think normal people realize how drawn to power these people are. I mean, we, we, I'm just realizing from, well, from well, all this There's discovery. this idea that if someone is a scientist, that they live in, they inhabit this Empyrean realm beyond such you know, yeah. sordid considerations of power. And in point of fact, the record shows that scientists are more prone than most, I think, to succumb to the siren yeah. song of power. And, well, and this is where they want to bring us to this rule by experts. Well, this is the expert you would get. Next up, what can you do to preserve individual liberty in this time of such corruption?
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. On Monday, we discussed Congressman Clay Higgins' interview during which he said that J6 was a conspiracy at the highest level coordinated by people within the FBI and the Democratic Party. He admitted that we're dealing with a government within a government and implied that people involved in that conspiracy need to be arrested. Unfortunately, that can't happen until we have a president willing to allow justice to be doled out against those rogue elements within our government. So join me to discuss what we can do until that happens is Bill Hahn, the CEO of the John Birch Society. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Much appreciated. So, um, yeah, you watch the news. It seems a little doom and gloomy. Um, that's reality sometimes. But we don't, here at the John Birch Society, which, by the way, is the parent company of the New American, this started out as an organization, the John Birch Society, that, uh, of solutions. None of what's happening now, I, you know, I don't know if we say as often, is necessarily a surprise. Uh, founder Robert Welch knew that there was a government within the government. He knew it was conspiring to destroy the U.S. and to basically annihilate our rights as we are seeing happen now. But what can we do that? Now, one of the first projects that he uh, that the JBS launched during those years of Welch in the very beginning in the 60s was support your local police and keep them independent for exactly reasons that we're dealing with today, didn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. Matter of fact, that happened in 1963. Uh, but we need to keep in mind, too, that um, supporting your local police, and there's an element there that we, we tend to not include. Uh, we do talk about it, uh, but but the entire um, title of it is support your local police and keep them independent. Mm -hmm. And really, what does that mean? It's independent of federal control. Because when you look at over over history, and I know you and I, you and I have talked about this uh, on, on a couple of occasions before, uh, is that we do not want to see... Uh, the United States of America devolve into any type of a police state. And those such as yourself that have grown up in a, in a police state know exactly why we do not want America to be, to uh, go that route. Um, now, when it comes to the um, communist revolution and, you know, and, and uh, the socialists that are, that are pushing all of this, uh, those that are useful idiots that are just carrying the, the water for, for, you know, for the, uh, for folks that are not card carrying members of the communist party, um, it, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, the, the revolution. It's not so much about the, the issues and how, you know, they, they care about people because they really don't. Um, the national, uh, police or militarized police is a way for the people to be repressed, for their freedoms to be taken away, uh, and for, uh, inter interrogation and intelligence to, to basically take over and to get you to, um, basically think what the government wants you to think and to do what the government wants you to do. Right. It, it would assume a monopoly on force. Absolutely. And there's an obvious reason why the deep state would want that. Absolutely. And so when, when we look at, you know, how do we, how do we avoid something like that uh, here in America? Uh, Mr. Welch knew that there were, there were basic tenets of Americanism, uh, including support your local police that would keep this at bay. 
but if we did not exercise that as a as an informed electorate, we could easily slip, go, you know, go down the slippery slope mm-hmm. into despotism. Yes, and you know, with with the the whole uh, national national police military militarized police leading us down that pathway, and so it's very important. And and we know that with the whole defund uh, police movement, that the that the morale of the of the police is, is not very good. Uh, their recruitment is way down. Yes, um, and we're seeing uh, increased crime. You know, in in many communities, uh, even in in uh, you know some small town uh, communities. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, that the uh, police themselves need to be kept free and independent of, of, of federal And they control. need to understand this because I bet you there's quite a few who don't understand. I mean, as a reporter back in the day, I used to get these press releases from the local city depart, uh, local police department about these grants. And they were happy about these grants because they got to buy equipment that they likely need. But it seemed to me like they didn't understand that those grants came with strings mm. that could pose a danger to their constituents in the long run. Absolutely, yeah, and and we've we've seen examples of that. I mean, you you take any crisis, okay, or a series of crises, and the the government will do what it can to legislate away the local connection that police have with the communities, and try to replace that then with federal control. And that is extraordinarily dangerous. But even well-meaning politicians or elected mm-hmm. officials, uh, much like uh, you know President Trump, sees a need to step in uh, the role for um, you know basically to fill in and compensate for what's not happening at the local level yes. and offer federal you know um, sources. And that's how they get them. There's this veneer that, of, of good true. intentions and things like that. Yeah. Without yeah. taking into consideration in the long run what that means. That's right. And then what happens then, you know, once once uh, we have somebody in office that's not, you know, that doesn't that wants to use this this control of the uh, you know of the police or the or the people to the detriment of of, of the of the country. So what do we propose, Bill? What's uh, I mean, we have solutions yes. to almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But but it all boils down to you know looking at the how the how the electorate. Is a, uh, or I should say, those that are in office, those that have been voted in, are a direct reflection of the electorate. Okay, so having that that informed electorate that understands uh, the the basic tenets of Americanism, including support your local police uh, and keeping them free of of, of uh, federal control, um, this is this is what is needed, and this is exactly the the game plan that the John Birch Society has had for sixty five plus years, and where we. Where this occurs, we are extraordinarily effective, and it's it, and it's even this goes back to the to the days of the founding fathers. They they understood the importance of having, uh, yeah. you know, citizenry that was you know very much informed on on the, on the issues as well as how civic government is supposed to work. So so what can people do? Do we? I know we have packets. There's various ways we could communicate. We should definitely communicate, yeah. obviously, with the sheriff, probably uh, chief of police if we live in a city, right? Our our efforts should start local. Okay, so uh, and what I mean by that is not necessarily running to the state legislator legislatures to get stuff done. You go in and you sit down with your county sheriff, and you and you 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 basically um, try to inform them, you know, of of the of this basic of their responsibility. Of That's right of of their responsibility, which basically to protect their constituents, protect their constituents from from federal overreach, for sure. And not just federal overreach, but also overreach, you know, from from government that's above the the, the local constituents. So 
So it's very important to keep them, you know, um, informed. And so starting with those folks makes sense. We make it rather easy where we have an ad hoc committee called, obviously, Support Your Local Police. And we have um, a manual that people can actually download for free on, on, off of gbs.org. Just look up the Action Project, uh, Support Your Local Police. We'll include it in that. the link. I actually worked on that manual, by yeah, the way. Yeah, well, <laughs> did great. Good job. Um, so uh, following the, um, you know, some of the, the, the guidelines, you know, stuff in there really helps to, you know, make those connections with not just the, the police, the county sheriff, the chiefs of police, but also those that put them into power. So the voters, you know, for the, mm-hmm. uh, for the, for the county sheriff, and then for the, usually for the, for the chief of police, uh, you know, the mayor, the city council. Yeah. These are the folks that we target then with, with, with this and opinion molders in the absolutely, town. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's, that's the thing, you know, again, it sounds pretty doomy and gloomy all the time, but it all can be, there's a remedy at, but you know, I think what people don't necessarily always want to hear, and we're not saying that you are listeners is that it does include work. You know, you're going to have to get out there. You have you're to be involved. You have to be sure. involved. You have to communicate. You can't leave it up to somebody else because no. it will not happen. No, no. You know, when, when we just decide that, oh, we're going to let, you know, the, the elected officials, you know, follow their own path uh, without our input, that's, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. You know, so we, we have plenty of materials actually at shopjbs.org mm-hmm. that people can use. There's a rather uh, inexpensive a packet, packet that we put together that you can actually hand to uh, your, your chief of police, uh, to your, your county sheriff and, and others. Uh, it's about five ninety five. dollars yeah. Again, it's that shop JBS. We have a link for that in the description, guys. Perfect. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you, uh, Bill. Thank you for this. I mean, this is uh, what folks need to, to realize is that we can do something about it. But like we said, it takes work, but we provide the packets. We provide the information on how to create these ad hoc committees. We don't have any more time, but... That in itself could be an entire conversation. Uh, So thank you, uh, Bill Hahn, the CEO of JBS. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And please join us again tomorrow for another episode.